Good morning. My name's Travis. As Kevin mentioned, I'm a deacon here. Uh, I grew up in Elkton, uh, so I'm a, a true local. Uh, went to JMU twice. My wife, Andrea, is right there. Uh, she's from Miami of the famed Velker clan. Um, and our kids are Stella, Jay, Jeremiah, and Ezra. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. <clears throat> As Kevin mentioned, we've transitioned from the season of Advent, sort of a time of expectation and longing, now into Christmas, where we have received Jesus. Jesus has come, we adore him, and we spend these 12 days in our time celebrating his coming. Um, the two passages that we're going to work on today, the gospel passage out of John uh, is really deep, and to preach that full passage would take the rest of the week. So I'm just going to hit highlights there, but I think the two tie in well. I think the John passage ties in well with Galatians, and I'm probably going to spend a little more time in Galatians today. So John is telling us, who is this Jesus? Who is this Messiah that we've been waiting for? And then Paul in Galatians tells us what the ramifications of Christ's work are for our lives. So what does he mean in the way that we live our lives now? So we'll jump right in. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There is a lot going on in those three verses. We're obviously being pointed back to Genesis in the beginning, Jesus has always been. He was not God's audible for our broken world. He was there from the very start. John is the only New Testament writer who refers to Jesus, to Jesus as the Word. He does it here again in 1 John and then lastly in Revelation. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, what is a Word? For us, words are the embodiment of our thoughts and will. The things that we think and want and feel are expressed through our words, through our speech. Words are how we express ourselves and how we learn about one another. In a few verses, we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word is literally the embodiment or incarnation of God. <clears throat> you can think of it this way. Let's say you go to the same coffee shop every morning to start your day. You get a coffee, you browse the internet, check your email for about 20 minutes, and then head out and start your day. Every day, you see the same guy in the coffee shop. He shows up at the same time, orders the same drink, sits in the same seat every day. Through casual observation, you know certain things about him. He walks to the coffee shop, so he probably lives nearby. He's a creature of habit, likes butter in his coffee, and his hat indicates that he's a Braves fan. This goes on for a year, but for whatever reason, you never speak to the guy. So one day, you and a friend meet at the coffee shop, and you all hang out for a while, and the guy in the Braves hat leaves, and your buddy says, hey, do you know that guy? And you say, nope, never spoken to him. You've been in the same room with that person every day for a year, but because you haven't spoken to them, you don't claim to know him. If you had spoken to the guy twice in the course of that year for 10 minutes, you might say, yeah, that guy's name's uh, Mark Lee. 
interesting character, owns a bunch of car washes, big elk hunter, super guy. Two 10-minute conversations would get you there. But without the word, without that speech, without that interaction, you wouldn't have any claim on knowing that person. We experience one another through words. They're foundational to our relationships with one another. So the way that we experience and encounter God is through his word, Jesus. The word was with God, the word was God. So Christ's deity is clearly claimed here, and we get a glimpse of the Trinity, at least two-thirds of it. We're also told that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, back to, Jesus, back to Genesis, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? He spoke. Chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. So the first story of the Old Testament has Jesus in it. The word through which all things were made, the creative expression, the creative expression of God is there on page 1. While we're on the topic of light, back to the John passage, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And skipping down to verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the first thing that God spoke into creation in Genesis is light, and here John tells us that Jesus is the true light. I think John had read Genesis. <clears throat> Jesus is the light, the hope that the entire creation requires. All the darkness of sin and death and injustice that we can combat but ultimately will not defeat is answered in the true light which gives light and life to everyone. My two last points in the John passage that sort of will start pointing us into Galatians. In verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this sets our identity in Jesus. Paul will later tell us there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, that becomes the core of your identity, and it sets your standing in God's family, in God's promised family. The last point for me in John is in verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This contrast of law through Moses with grace and truth through Jesus is at the core of the Galatians passage. So we'll just segue there now. If you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So that passage taken out of context, along with several other passages in the Bible that if you take out of context, can be misinterpreted in two ways that I'll sort of flesh out for the rest of our time together this morning. One, you could make the mistake of thinking that the law is bad, Jesus is good. Old Testament, mean God. New Testament, nice God. Jesus is good. That part's right. So was the law. Similarly, you could get carried away with this concept of faith alone and then decide that our behavior doesn't matter. If justification is by faith alone, no need to worry with acts at all, but that's not the intent. If you come from a Presbyterian background the way that I do, hold back your current desire to throw something at me and just let me work through the point. I'm not going to tell you that you got to earn your way into heaven. That's not it. All right, in order that we don't make those mistakes, I'll provide a little bit of context. On Galatians specifically, Paul is writing to churches in Galatia, and he is not pleased. Because Christianity has Jewish roots, many of the first followers of Jesus had grown up with the Torah, the Jewish law, and observed Jewish traditions and observances. As time went on, Gentiles or non-Jews started coming to the faith as well, By the time Paul was writing this letter, Gentiles probably outnumbered Jews within the Christian family. However, there were some Christians from the Jewish background who were proposing that men who came to Christ needed to be circumcised in the Jewish tradition. So this is covered in Acts chapter 15. It's the same problem. This is just him addressing it specifically to the Galatians. So the specific issue is around circumcision, but Paul frames it as the Old Testament or Mosaic law more broadly as he writes the letter. So the first possible error that I mentioned earlier would be the notion that the law was bad if Paul appears to be speaking against it. He's not really speaking against it. If you actually just skip a few verses earlier, he provides some context that's pretty helpful, and you can read that on your own later today. Paul's point is that God made a promise to Abraham that predated the law. It didn't start with the law. It started with a promise to Abraham. The law was added later to address Israel's transgressions. So you get the Ten Commandments, Israel breaks them. You keep reading through the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament, more laws, more law breaking, more laws, more violations. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, all told, 613 commandments to Israel, and I think they broke them all. I think they batted a thousand. The imprisonment that Paul describes in verse 23 in Galatians is not a flaw in the law. It's an indication of Israel's inability to abide the law. That said, the law still provided a purpose. It was a guardian for Israel. The law gave Israel guide rails for how to live an ordered life in God's ordered creation, a guide for justice. The rules also set Israel apart from other tribes. It doesn't always resonate with us, but the other groups that were around Israel, a lot of those folks were seriously evil, depraved groups of folks. 
the law was a way to set Israel apart so that they didn't intermingle and get pulled into that sin. It insulated them. So when you read strange laws like don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk, that's not God being arbitrary. That is something that was happening in one of these other people groups, and this was God's way of drawing a line and saying, you don't do that, you don't associate with those folks. Because Christ has come, Paul calling for believers to not require Torah observances isn't abolishing the law. It wasn't trying to abolish a bad thing. Rather, it's the end of a good thing whose task was complete. I'll repeat that. Paul calling for believers to abandon or at least not require observances from the law was not abolishing a bad thing. It was the end of a good thing whose task was complete. The law had its place until Jesus came. It was the guardian. Humanity in its brokenness could not muster enough discipline to be called righteous under the law. Instead, Christ's righteousness covers us and we put on his innocence. Paul addresses this earlier in Galatians in chapter 2. For through the laws I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I do not nullify the, God, the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ would die for no purpose. The ultimate righteousness that we all needed had to come from outside ourselves. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's what Paul is describing here. Another important change as it pertains to the law, the Mosaic law was intended to keep the Jews separate from other people groups to protect them. In Jesus' new creation, we're all instead called into a multi-ethnic family of, as children of God. The law was intended to separate. Jesus came to unify. Starting in verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is part of why Paul was so upset. A call for circumcision was going to redraw lines and segregate people again. Christ's intent was this unity that crossed ethnic and traditional boundaries. Earlier, I mentioned a second possible error in misconstruing this passage and others in a way that might discount Christian morality. We'll read verses 23 to 25 again. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So if we're no longer under the law, our guardian, and our justification is by faith in Jesus, which it is, then why should our actions matter? No law, no worries, just faith. Behave however I want. Not exactly. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So now we're all wrapped around the axle. I spent the last five minutes talking about how we set the law aside, and now Jesus is telling us to keep and teach the commandments. In chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul addresses Christian morality very specifically. So two chapters after the ones we're focusing on today. Starting in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those of you who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what matters, faith or behavior? Yes! <clears throat> yes, the difference in the new creation after Christ's work is that through the Spirit, our behavior actually will improve. This is not us seeking justification under law. It's living differently because Christ lives within us. This is not me trying to obey in order that God will love and accept me. This is the gospel message that because I am loved and accepted, my heart changes and I wish to obey. This is the fruit of the Spirit, the outcome of the Spirit's work in the Christian. I wish to live the truest version of myself, abiding in God's love, loving God and my neighbor, unified through Christ in the family of God. So to conclude, he did a better job than I in chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.